0: Okay, cool. We're live episode three, and today we're going to talk about average order value whether it matters, how important it is. So, I'm super excited to have Jeremy back from Dasty and John from Form Toro. Sure, both don't need any introduction at this point. We all know each other, and we're just going to get straight into it. So, average order value is something I think that's typically being renowned as an important sort of KPI to aim for everyone wants to increase average order value or that seems to be the consensus in the industry some of the discussions I've seen over the last year center around actually wait there is it as important as we think it is when is the right time to focus on average order value or is it just completely overrated altogether so going to ask Jeremy and John what their positions are go a little bit deeper And try and back things up with data and examples we've got from work with clients where possible, and just see where the conversation takes us. So going to start with you, Jeremy, state your position and frame the conversation, average order value, is it important in e-commerce?
1: yeah so love this question Uh, i feel like we talk about this a lot so i'm gonna take it it's the most underrated metric in the like high level metrics that everybody talks about in e-commerce right now and i think this year it actually matters more than it ever has in the past basically because every brand is getting squeezed on both ends inflation and rising cac in general i'm going to put in this it's tougher to acquire new customers and then on the other side just product costs product timelines are extending which just means more cash is coming out of the business sooner, which just makes everything more expensive. And so, we can, AOV is a good proxy measurement, but essentially just maximizing how much revenue you can make on every site visit, every opportunity you have at a sale is going to be even more important as your margins just get crushed from both sides this year.
0: Cool. Thank you for kicking us off. John, what would you say?
2: No. <laughs> uh, the reason being is that the way that people are getting to hire AOVs requires some degree of discounting without unit economics related to products directly with AOV if you're not bringing in profit margins per piece it's a it's a valueless metric and I know it's one of those guiding lights that people like going to but it's a, like most KPIs the understanding the why behind it is just not really
1: calculated in on any dashboard I've ever seen. So Adam, can I actually ask you a quick follow-up question?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So John, it actually just sounds like more like you don't like the metric because people are misuse, people are deploying the wrong strategies. If people, if people thought about okay, how am I right? Because AOV is essentially a proxy for your contribution margin. How if people actually thought about how do I make more profit in every sale by raising my OV, would that change your position? I think it's an important measure of
2: kind of what your uptick is, but the debates usually between first time AOV versus second time and repeat AOV. And like, we'll, we'll touch on that one later. I think first time AOV is not a metric that anyone should pay attention to. And this is where I disagree with like a lot of people in the space, uh, because I view it as being a prolonged customer journey where your first time AOV should be low and you shouldn't try to upsell on the first purchases, but instead you should look to provide value through that experience with said product. And then the natural way for people to come back and experience a product is usually a higher AOV on the second purchase. I mean if cool. you really want to get granular about it, that's that's kind of like my overall vision of what I think about AOV is is it a good metric in the way that's currently measured? No, not at all. If we change to do more profit centric, would it be a decent measure? Yeah. But there's also differentiation between first time AOV versus repeat purchase AOV
0: one thing i want to maybe not necessarily push back on but question john so every brand i've worked with and we've actually discussed this between us yeah and you know people talk about how important retention is but in my experience as long as you know taking all things into account it tends to like level out the same for all brands based on like how you penetrate the market so with that being said let's say everyone Ends up at the same retention rates, like twenty five percent, thirty percent. If you do it really well, is that not a case for saying actually, if you're going to drive, you know, the same repeat customers, does it not make sense to focus on making sure you have a higher V on the first sale? Because actually, the same amount of people are going to come back regardless. I
2: mean, I think it depends. <laughs> You know, like, once again, it depends. It depends on who's coming in, why they're buying, what the purpose for them buying is, and is the purpose that they're buying the likely value that they're going to get or the perceived value that, that they're going to get out of a product. Uh, I think we love to look at stats in a vacuum and say, oh, if 25% of the people come back, then should we have a high AOV the entire way through? Is that going to be the better way to do it? But when we look at the way that we personally purchase products, if it's a new brand for me and I don't have any context and no one's told me about it or I haven't experienced it in person, et cetera, then my first experience with that brand is going to be trying to de-risk that purchase as much as possible to make my own evaluation on said product. What we don't take into account is people that have come and they look like they're a first-time purchaser, that's a high AOV that actually that isn't their first interaction with the brand. They might've interacted with it with someone else. Someone might've told them about it. They could have seen it in person. They could have borrowed someone's thing, et cetera. So we, without that distinction, I mean, we're all just guessing really, like mm-hmm. that's, that's something we can't actually statistically look at and be able to prove one way or the other. However, my gut tells me that most of the times so that you have a higher AOV, that person had a different experience with said brand or experience with talking to someone else that had an experience with a brand.
0: Jeremy, what do you see at Dasty? Like when you break things down and you see customers have a high AOV on the first purchase, because I see a lot of people say this usually correlates over the long term that they spend more overall at the store in general. Do you see the same thing at which points, I suppose it would make sense to optimize for that?
1: Yes, this is a really interesting conversation because I don't, in most of the brands that I've worked with and what we analyze at DASI, like we don't really spend a lot of time breaking it down of what's your AOV at your first purchase versus what's your AOV at a later purchase. I think the only real value that I would see of really optimizing for AOV at your first purchase is just from a cash flow perspective. Like, how much money are we making from a top line? profit, gross per margin perspective on that top line perspective to understand what our CAC and our CAC payback is. From an AOV perspective, and again, this is really just a proxy metric because really what you're looking at, what you want to optimize is your units per transaction or how many items or how many products did someone buy in that first purchase. We honestly, we see brands and this goes, I mean, it's going to be kind of similar to John's answer. So like it all depends. It, the consistency of your AOV really depends on your business model. If I'm a coffee brand, I probably want to see fairly consistent AOV across the board. Whereas we have some home good products. We have some cookware products where you actually want to see a massive AOV on that first purchase because people buy things in bundles for that purchasing habit normally. Whereas it's very, it's possible, but it's very rare that someone's going to buy like a knife and then a cutting board and then a pan. Whereas you want to buy like your whole set when that event major life event happens. So I I think people, and kind of like to John's point of like in the community, like they over discussed this one specific point, really what it's supposed to be is just a flag of what are the ways that we are boosting how much money we can make in every order, whether that is a first per, at least I believe whether that's a first purchase or a 15th purchase, because personally, one thing that I think we've really made a big mistake as an industry overall is we've over optimized the sales funnel to just get one sale in as quickly as possible, no product discovery, flush them in, try to get them through a, re, a repurchase funnel as quickly as possible. Versus like, I spent a lot of time going to John's point, like as a customer over the holidays, spending a lot of money not go, trying not to go to Amazon, try not to go in stores and just buy from people's websites. And I like wanted to buy some bundles for some people. And it was infuriating to like just get, get pushed down this funnel. Like I bought, one of our teammates, I bought a knife set And it just like kept pushing me down to buy this one knife or like this one knife and one other knife. It's like, no, I want to give you guys more money. Like I want to buy the three set. And it was so difficult to get to that experience. that I hope, I'll put it this way. I hope that this year, 2022, we really spend the time to swing back and focus on product discovery. Like if you think about the really big successful brands almost the overall majority have a large product catalogs that can move a lot of products in an individual purchase because they understand what that experience is like. And I know that there are much better metrics to manage it, but you need a more heavy BI set to really go into the depths there. Whereas I think AO, as hopefully AOV will just push people towards that better
2: practice. Just to give you an idea, I'm like actually looking at numbers. because we break down AOV first time, second time versus subscribe versus non-subscribed. Uh, And first time customers are about $8 less than repeat customers and returning customers in terms of AOV for this brand and subscribers are, wow, like $14 more AOV than non-subscribers. So you're looking at little mini intent metrics that happen across in relation to a brand and you can actually start mapping out who are going to be your higher AOV style customers based on their their interactions with a brand, which is why I think that like AOV as a metric can't be taken as just one metric. And anyone that views AOV as one metric in a platform is making a huge mistake because you need to break it down through all these different viewpoints to understand the quality of your audience at different points of the interaction
1: with your brand. And that goes for any metric. Don't look at any metric as just in a vacuum of one metric. Like without context, no metric is really valuable. The hardest problem
2: though is like this is the way that they're all presented in, uh, in all the platforms and all the dashboards. It's always one metric. It's not broken down into sub metrics to understand why that metric came to be. It's like, this is my biggest frustration with how everyone brags about numbers and they don't know or can't tell me what the numbers are doing and they can't break down the, number of orders they had that are coming from repeat customers versus non and, and everything else. And you can't tell me first time ROAS versus blended ROAS and everything else. Like, I think we've gotten to this point where we have all this access to stuff, but no one actually puts it together in a way that makes sense.
1: Well, I'll add a quick correction, arguable on the, the uh, I guess, the subjectiveness of makes sense. I think that is something that was what, coming from the brand side of why I was drawn to work at Dacity is. I think the major difference and also what you're talking about is the difference between like a reporting platform versus an analytics platform of I see a metric at a high level and then I want to dig deeper to understand the context behind it and start to run right it's not just and we can go into any example but it's not just ROAS it's first time ROAS versus blended ROAS versus this other look I think I mean right all everybody in e-commerce is always asked to do more with less and I think it's what I've seen is the brands that we work with that invest the time to dive into the numbers and create those different reports and actually have those contexts seem to be the ones that grow the fastest, have the most success, have the whatever outcomes that everybody is looking for. Because right, there's the defaults that everybody will want. But then as you dive into your business, right, like sure everyone will probably look at feet first versus repeat, but some of the brands we work with. Really, the difference between their fourth to sixth purchase is where the massive unlock happens for their brand because it's a high repeat purchase product that is a low AOV. Whereas other ones, it's all about first purchase. And so I think the flexibility of addressing that for your specific business is tough. It's, it's not cheap. It's not, it's not fast like it takes time. It takes a lot of tools. And it usually takes internal like resources to accomplish. Yeah.
2: Let's let's talk about that. The gap in internal resources to effectively use tools seems to be like a theme that keeps popping up. I'm sorry totally. for hijacking this conversation, <laughs> yeah. but um, I think that this is something that isn't talked about enough and candidly enough, which is internal resources are lacking across a lot of brands because they're not brought up in a, in an analytical environment that deals with statistics and understands causation uh, versus correlation in a way where they can look at a data set and then understand not only what that data set says, but like you said, dive down even deeper to get a better understanding of why and mm-hmm. where those numbers came from in order to build a strategy around it. Like, wh- where do you see us as kind of an industry having to move being on a data analytics platform side of stuff ourselves like deep into bi and and data analytics in our own platform like what do we need to do in order to close that gap
1: yeah so i think it's three major things i think first the technical infrastructure needs to be laid that the same way that shopify just templatized basically how e-commerce stores are built and the tech stack around them the data infrastructure needs to be templatized in the same respect which knock on wood, hopefully we're doing a good job at of and right. Like I think that, and also there needs to be an industry effort. Like that's not one company will do it. A lot of companies need to, cause I mean, just looking into like how the backend systems of a lot of different technologies work is an interesting challenge in itself. Second, I think we're just in the nascent, 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 like a part of just analytics and data in general. Like I see a lot, so a lot of brands will bring us in when it, and this was my experience also. So like when I was at previously at a brand, I was running e-com and then I was co- called like the analytics and the customer research was like my side hustle working at the brand where when I did it, I mean, I had some background and I knew it, but I was not really experienced in an And I had to go t- teach myself that. And that's what we find a lot of the brands that come to us are doing is, it's usually someone doing it as a second job and then what we see is eventually they will hire a director of analytics, a director of insights, some sort of like usually pulling from a big four or some sort of like management consultant company to then graft over, which we can talk about also. Yeah. But there's right there's no school for e So everybody who usually joins an e-com company is some fractal relationship to the brand, right? It's not like you're going to get an MBA in e-com and an MBA in e analytics and an MBA in e marketing. Yeah. Like you're just doing something and you graft to a brand. And so I think there's, and that's something that we think a lot about Is like, there's no pipeline to get people who want to be analysts into brands from the training, from the enablement, like from all that background that you talked about. And I think that is the second big piece of where we need to get to. And then I think the third piece is just, I guess this should have really been the second piece, but like just educating brands on why analytics matter. It's like, it's very interesting twist. And John, I'm sure you're very sure of like people who have done it before, get the immediate value and it's almost like a core part of your process. Whereas people who have not seen it before don't really understand it. It's kind of like a, this is a nice to have, but it's very expensive and time consuming. And so, I mean, they're all, all three are related, but I think at the end of the day, it needs to be cheaper, easily more accessible. And then people just need to have a better background coming into those roles to then also educate the internal team. So here's a good topic that's been floating around and I've been having this with
2: Epperson the last, couple of weeks. Uh, I actually agree completely. The one thing I think that's going to happen, though, is I think it's going to come from external agencies that focus and wrap up all the services as one and then function more as advisory roles. Um, The reason why I say that is I think that with the exception of you, Adam, most agencies uh, uh, struggle to really understand you in economics and kind of where they fit into the broader picture of running a business, uh, especially when they niche down and do, doing specific things. From a, from a professional standpoint, most of the people that run some of these agencies are way too expensive to hire in-house for 90% of brands. And you wouldn't get all the expertise to do that. So I do, do see like this new, I see this new crop, of agencies showing up that are strategy and data focused that have that background. They're just going to mop it up like for the next six months to a year and just take on all these brands and then just run them with internal teams that are smarter, more efficient and like
1: highly trained on just getting shit done. Yeah. I mean, I, so I would say that I a hundred percent agree with you. I think it's going to be like a, whatever you want to call it, analyst strategist data agency and we're seeing a lot of like people exit, large companies had big success. They were a, a data scientist insights strategy there. Um, and then like, the way that I just think about it is I think we're, we're in like probably year one or two of this. Whereas like the email agencies were doing this 10 years ago. Like thinking about like the Bronto email agencies from back <laughs> in the day, like that to me was like kind of the first genesis of the modern day kind of like Clavio tech stack agency ecosystem and data analytics is just so early. We're like, yeah, we're seeing like one or two people today, agencies that will probably in the down the road turn into your next, insert crazy successful agency in this space here.
0: I, I do I do agree with this, but I want to pull us back on top because I think this is <laughs> this is this is another topic in itself, and I, this is my worry: we would go off on a tangent and we'd be on for three hours. So just to pull it back. It's all
2: related. It's all related.
0: It is all all related, but I'm trying to keep things under 30 minutes. So, therefore, I agree with you. We should definitely talk more about it another time. If AOV is not the be all and end all, then, right? What's a more important metric to measure on someone's first purchase? What about profitability per session? Would that be worth looking at?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it just comes down to your unit economics. Like I know it's not a unique or different answer, but there's a reason why all the investors, everybody like who's looking at it, it's just like the you need to understand the fundamental basics of your business from a metric perspective, because I mean, everything else that we just, all the other metrics and KPIs we use are just efficiency, leading, hopefully leading indicators of how you're doing. And so it really comes down to what's your top line sales, what's your gross margin, what is your CAC? and just get, I mean, I'm oversimplifying this, but like just to get to your unit your unit economics as quickly as possible, there are tons of things that you can adjust, and I would recommend that your gross margin is on your land of costs. There are tons of things that you can adjust in there from a financial and accounting perspective, but just having those high level flags, especially if you're a marketer, this is also personally one of my greatest gripes is that marketing is, Marketing is accountable for so much in so many DTC orgs, and you're not giving your profitability numbers. and I, I remember fighting to get that access for my finance team back in the day. Like they thought I was being ridiculous that I wanted to know where my gross margin was. And I think like that to me, that like that's it. Like once you really understand that, and once you understand how the inputs and outputs cycle through there. All of the other metrics are just helpful for the team to understand high-level performance.
0: Look, I've I've worked with brands where we've asked them for the uh, the cost of goods, and they've asked me, "Why do you want to know this?" And it's actually scary. I think how many people have responded that way. And because for me, it's it should be like a mandatory part of our onboarding to know how to market the brand and also which specific products should be included in you know specific offers, but. Yeah, I think going back to basics with unit economics, that should be prerequisite to onboarding for any agency or anyone who's coming into an e-commerce company to help them.
2: I mean, I'd like to see more people. I'd, I'd like to see a company that shows me a spreadsheet that shows me all the levers that they could pull to move numbers around in different ways. I'm yet to see like an agency present me with like a spreadsheet that outlines all the levers they can pull in order to get to the same result whether that's a bigger discount, whether that's free shipping, whether that's everything, cost of goods, different goods, et cetera, as their premier first offer and to bring someone into a brand and what that intent, a journey looks like for them. And I think this is my overall frustration is that over the last 18 months or so, talking to nothing but agencies and doing market research on our own product and then working with agencies directly and seeing just the lack of internal processes that exist and the lack of documentation that exists around these very core business functionalities has kind of had me going on a warpath on LinkedIn and talking shit, but like <laughs> legit, just show me the stuff. Like if, if you're an agency out there, so show me the stuff. We'll get along great. But there's just so many gaps in terms of the understanding of how to, run a business from the fundamental side of things that it's it i'm lost i'm like absolutely confused as to how anyone
1: does it so i'm not completely loop on this conversation but do you think the it's an internal stakeholder who manages that or is it the agencies because i just think like when you have four or five different agencies especially in the marketing tech stack that are competing for budget time and resources like i don't know who would you assign or who would you assign that to this is why i think that model
2: has to go away too like i mean this is why i think that model is this is a whole nother
1: episode in and of itself okay (laughs) but i mean like i
2: think the the problem is we have email fighting with ads fighting with cro fighting with Uh anyone else that's doing stuff and the problem is that everyone needs to like shake hands get along and realize that you know economics go across everyone Uh, um the the main thing for me though is that uh you end up fighting a lot with internal stakeholders as well because your C-level people only care about revenue and growth and they don't necessarily care about profit margins all the time. The CFO cares about profit margins and they're looking at everything with a fine tooth comb to make sure you're able to grow and make payroll and scale efficiently. Right? Mm -hmm. So everyone has different vested interests in what's going on and they're not always aligned even in an internal situation. So, everyone's kind of like handcuffed a little bit in terms of figuring stuff out. What I'd love to see though, more than anything else, is that people genuinely sit down, whiteboard, whatever spreadsheet and walk through all the stakeholders uh, who have accountability to the business and go through every single lever that can be pulled in order to make something happen. What I've seen time and time again is that people, especially in the especially in the venture world, right? Like in the venture world, when you go to B2B, it's a great example. They subsidize the, the cost massively of onboarding new clients and stuff like that. But when you look at the venture world for B2C, there's very little subsidization that goes on. It all gets thrown into marketing at retail prices. Well, that's a subsidization. <laughs> but like, but it, it's, it's subsidization not on the product side. Like if you took that same money that you spent on marketing and you applied it to just a blatant discount on the product, You're using the money in the same way, but you're getting more people to use your product. So from a long-term growth perspective, the more people you can have to use your product that have good experience with it, the faster you're going to grow rather than inflating high prices and doing it everywhere else. Uber is a great example of this, right? They subsidize so many rides just to get spread and mass takeover. Um, we don't take those same tactics when it comes to B2C because everyone goes in with having to maintain margins and look into retail and other things and maintain presence and not become a cheap brand, et cetera. But there are so many different channels that you can use even on your own website. Landing pages don't have to be public. You can send them to certain people. You can grow a brand as fast as you want if you're smart about doing it. But the fact of the matter remains like if you go to Facebook right now and you click on a bunch of ads, it's like, Maybe less than 10% that actually lead to a landing page that isn't part of their original site. It's just laziness on the count that, like, people are going with the least possible work necessary in order to turn a profit for whoever's running the services because they don't want to get invested in doing stuff that may or may not work out. And anyone that does CRO will tell you, like, 80, 90% of stuff does not work out. And that's daunting, especially for a small business with cash flow issues.
0: Again, another super interesting topic, but I wanna save it for another day because I'm trying to keep this under to 30 minutes. So I'm gonna move on very quickly to um, the next points. And I'm just gonna focus specifically on one element of this
1: because I'm sure
0: we're gonna go off on another tangent. Bundles for AOV, yes or no, Jeremy?
1: Yes, it, it's. Oh, I don't know any business that hasn't had success with bundles. And if they didn't, I would question what they were putting in that bundle. John, yeah,
2: I mean, if if it's the same product or it's similar products that should go together, add, add them together. Give someone a deal, make them de-risk their purchase. That puts more in their 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 basket. You're not gonna get any, you're not gonna get any fight from me on that. Get more products into people's hands.
0: Yeah, yeah, makes perfect sense. So just as a closing summary from both of you, Jeremy, what would be your take-home message for people on AOV?
1: Yeah. So spend a lot of time thinking through your pre-purchase experience and you can customize this to what stage of the lifecycle you want. But just think through how can we get more products in front of customers face, even if it's just tack on products to our hero, but just how can we get more products in front of people's face and just optimize your AOV? The one thing I've consistently seen across a lot of DC brands is if you want to have the same financial impact of raising a round of funding, but don't want to give up any equity, they almost always get that through intelligently raising their AOV and dro- dropping more profit down to their contribution margin.
2: John? AOV is a great metric to keep track of, but really dive deep and figure out what it is and understand the levers that are pushing it one way or the other. Your AOV across different segments of your audience are, are going to be wildly different. And you should pay attention to which segments are driving the highest AOV across everything. First, second purchase, whatever, subscribed, unsubscribed. But that's just the first step to figuring out more about those specific customers in order to find your quality audience that's going to drive it. And it all comes down to quality audience at the end of the day. If you don't have it, you won't have any sort of AOV. Well,
0: my take-home message is you need to purchase both dusty and form Toro the only way you'll get to the bottom of this riddle. Cool. Okay, guys, thank you very much for your time. If anyone has any questions, feel free to pop them in the comments. I can see a few came in, but it's just going to be too deep to get into them now. We'll probably end up spending another two hours and waste the day. So um Jeremy John thank you very much I'm going to end things here as I said if anyone has any questions pop them in the comments and we'll get back to you thanks guys thanks think,
1: Adam I-